You happy to be in church today? I am. Um, in particular because the message I want to share with you today, I will fear no evil. I've, I've been journeying with this message for some time. It dropped into my spirit, uh, well, when Pastor Ed Trout was here. So it's been a few weeks back. And uh, it's just sat with me ever since. And I didn't realize the journey I would walk to the point where I share it with you today. So I am particularly overjoyed because as I share this message with you, for me, it comes as a bit of a release. And I'm trusting God that those of you who are maybe in the grips of fear, no matter how big or to what degree, that regardless of the words spoken here, that by God's Spirit, whatever illegitimate fear might be in this house today will be uprooted in Jesus' name. So let me share with you how we got to where we, we are today from my perspective. So a few weeks ago, as I said Prophet Ed Trout was speaking, we were singing a song, and I think it's a Chris Tomlin song where it says, I will fear no evil, and it just dropped in my spirit. I believe it was after that, that in our family, we received a health death sentence. And basically what happened is, my mom was diagnosed with an illness or with a health problem and she was given one year to live. And the fear that gripped my heart, I cannot describe. And I suspect for some of you here that you may have experienced that because the scripture speaks to that in Psalm 23. And we're going to get into it in just a few moments. I'm happy to report that my mom underwent a major operation. And she's on the pathway to health. And that, that death sentence, through the work of, of doctors, through the use of God's hand on their lives, I declare today that that death sentence has been lifted in Jesus' name. And so I'm happy to report to you that my mom is sitting in the service this morning. And I am thrilled. I am thrilled. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I thank you that it is timely. I pray that you would use me to share the words that you want to be heard today. And that by your spirit, you will empower me to share with clarity that it would be decisive. That Father God, I thank you that hearts right now are receptive and that you will minister to the very point of everybody's need. That, Lord, you would minister to the point of everybody's fear. And we rejoice in you and your goodness and your faithfulness and your love towards us. And we dedicate these few moments to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, take up your Bible. Have a look at the person next to you. And if they're not holding a device or a Bible, offer to share with them because uh, I like it when we read the Bible together. 
And if uh, you would turn so long to Psalm 23, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Good. Now, how many of you were not here last week when Brother Andrew preached? Okay. So, whatever you do, probably YouTube or whatever, if you missed it, lay hold of it. Because you could almost regard, in my spirit anyway, that this message is a bit of a part two. Which is why the boxes are here. <laughs> this one being a little bit vintage. And this one being uh, representing the past, and this one representing the future. You see, the whole aspect of living day by day and moment by moment, so we don't miss what God has for us right here and right now, really resonated with me. I cannot tell you how it stuck with me the whole week. To the point where I would wake up in the morning and, and whisper in my spirit, God, you've given me enough strength for today. And then as the day drew to a close and I got tired, I would reflect a bit on all that God has done and I would be thankful to him and I would say, thank you for bringing me through this day. And then no matter what is left behind, I would close my eyes and go to sleep. And you know... He was so faithful. I thought the wheels would fall off because I didn't plan for the next day and, and all those things. But you know what? I lived this week with his peace. And uh, so it was a remarkable message. But one area that holds us back from experiencing all God has for us right here and right now is fear. And there's many people who are not able to enjoy the full potential of what God has for them because fear is holding them back and they're not willing to step out. Maybe fear because of something that we carry from the past that is not releasing us to enjoy with boldness the goodness God has for us in the year and now. Or maybe it's a fear of a future which is unknown. And even though you don't know what that future is, you carry it around because of fear and you're unable to enjoy what God is doing right here and right now. You see, fear has the ability to make us numb. For some people, it is so bad, they get scared stiff and they cannot move forward. And so, please take up your Bible as we read Psalm 23. And just by way of a preamble, I would like to say the following about this truly remarkable, it's a popular scripture, we all know it. But it was written for believers. It was written for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's a story about a shepherd, namely our Lord Jesus, and his encouragement to us as believers. The previous chapter in chapter 22, which starts with the words Jesus cried out when he was on the cross, implies that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you won't be able to regard him as shepherd, as revealed in chapter 23. Or you will not be able to regard him as king, as revealed in chapter 24. 
So if you're looking for some homework for the week, maybe you want to read all three of those chapters and let the Lord speak to you. And so these, this psalm is really cool in my heart because I'm going, God, this was written way before Jesus was on earth. And yet it's speaking about him and speaking to us. So let's read together. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Speaking about his provision. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, speaking of his rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here it is, I will fear no evil. Say it with me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over, speaking of his abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let's read verse 4 again. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Which leads me to point number one, if you're taking notes. No matter what the level, I will fear no evil. You see, this portion of scripture describes the ultimate fear every one of us will have to face at one point in time, and that is the fear of death. And I'm happy to report to you that we do not need to fear death because of the work of the cross. We do know that. But the reality is we will all face death at some point in time. And unless you are not human, I am pretty sure there will be a measure of fear. And so we all have to face this thing. Now, the scripture is referring to, as a, as a human being, what could be considered the most ultimate fear. But don't be mistaken, the word is not denying all other fear that can happen in our lifetime. And that is actually expanded on in the next sentence, which is, I will fear no evil. You see, it comes down to that word evil. So I want to spend a few moments on that word and I want to share with you what I've been able to discover, and I found it rather interesting. You see, if you do a simple dictionary search for the word evil, you get words like this, profound immorality, wickedness, depravity, especially when regarded as a supernatural force. Some of the synonyms for the word evil is wickedness, bad, badness, wrongdoing, sin, ill, immorality, vice, iniquity, and then there's some words that even I had to go look up again. Nefariousness, infamous by way of being extremely wicked. Malevolence, wishing evil or harm to others, to another or others, showing ill will. Would you agree with me? It's rather dark. 
And I promise you the message is going to get better. I promise you. But this word evil is very important and we need to understand it. And so the biblical definition expands on this word a little bit further than the very dark definition you would find in a, in a dictionary. And so if you could picture a line and that it starts at one and it ends with ten, with one being the least evil and with ten being the most evil. It's like the dictionary definition of the word evil starts at five and then just escalates to the worst. Yet the Bible's definition for the word evil starts at one and covers the entire section of the word. And there in Hebrew is a word called rara. It talks about bad, adversity, affliction, calamity, distress, evil, grief, hurt. It even touches the word mischief or misery. It even goes to the word sorrow or sore, trouble. The Greek word, which is very similar in definition to the Hebrew word, is a word called poneros. And it speaks in effect or influence, which refers rather to essential character. A characteristic of being evil, which indicates degeneracy from original virtue. Speaks of calamitous, diseased, but especially morally culpable, derelict. He has that word mischief and malice again. Guilt, bad, evil, grievous, harm, lewd. So what's the point? So the whole point is that the word evil seems to cover a very broad spectrum as opposed to the dictionary definition, which seems to start at five in my illustration and takes you to ten. So I've been thinking about this word evil, and I want to propose to you a definition for the word evil in line with the theme we are on the journey on together as a church. Anyone want to tell me what it is? Building yourself up in your most holy faith, which comes from Jude 1, verse 20 to 21. So I want to propose this following definition, and if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write it down and ponder on it, think about it, but it goes like this, anything that detracts from the building of your most holy faith, that is evil. Let me say it again, anything that detracts, takes away from the building of your most holy faith, that is evil. Does the following build you up in your most holy faith or does it rather instill fear? Listen to these words. Sickness, crime, an uncertain future. For a moment, I just want to speak to dads that worry we have as fathers sometimes that we'll not be able to provide for our families. That fear of potentially losing our jobs and not being able to be a provider. Maybe it's the fear of a business failure. 
Another illustration I want to give you is the perpetual negative information flowing into our minds, especially driven by the information age we live in today. And you see, these are only but a few examples. And the answer is no. It does not build us up in our most holy faith. Would you agree? So let's consider it evil. Bill Hybels puts it this way. The destructive fear must be stopped in its tracks or it will undermine the life God invites us to live as his people. So now that we understand what we are not to fear, let's talk a little bit about fear itself, which leads me to point number two. Fear shall have no hold on me. Say it with me. Fear shall have no hold on me. Would you agree that sin is foreign to a believer? Would you agree with me? It just has no place. It doesn't fit. But does sin exist? Does the, sp- does the Bible speak to sin? Well, it's the same with fear. Fear is foreign to a believer. But it exists. It's real. And the Bible speaks to it. Jesus also had to face fear head on. You find that in Matthew 26, verse 36 to 46, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the word the Bible uses there is in great distress, when Jesus approached the Father and said, if possible, could this cup of the crucifixion pass me by? But he faced fear head on, regardless, and said, yet not my will, but yours be done. And I'm sure we are so thankful today that he faced that fear and he did the will of the Father. Amen? So what are some of the drivers of fear in our lives? Well, the first one is naturally sin. If you look at Genesis 3, you see where Adam and Eve has now sinned and eaten of the fruit and God is walking in the garden and they hide from him. And when God challenges them on the fact that he can't find them, the response from their side is, we were afraid. So sin is a driver of fear. Another driver of fear is the fear of man. Where the reality of the world we live in and the people that are around us and the society and and sometimes the, the cultural influence of the day leads to what we call fear of man. And it drives this fear which wells up in your heart. You can read about that in Psalm 29 verse 25. So what drives out fear? Think about it for a minute before I get there. And I won't look at Bruce because I looked at Bruce last time I made this point and I lost my track for almost two minutes. So what drives out fear? Fear drives out fear. Think about it for a minute. The reverent fear of God our Father drives out all other fears. Have you got it? May it settle in your heart. You see, the fear of God is legitimate fear. 
and important to keep us from harm. Fear of God is a constructive fear. You see, overcoming destructive fear is built in relationship with God. It's a partnership with Him. That partnership with God refers to building ourselves up in our most holy faith. The reverent fear of God drives out all other fears. Amen? Let's have a look at Matthew 10. Turn there if you, if you can. Uh, we're going to be reading from verse 27. The title in my Bible, I don't know about you, is Jesus is teaching the fear of God. So we pick it up in verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, speaking to that aspect of your body can die, but your spirit man not. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. If we look at 1 John 4, and we start in verse 8, I'll quote it to you. It says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We all know that. But if you jump to verse 18, we read, there is no fear in love. I want to say there is no fear in God. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Illegitimate fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So it's in relationship with God, in that space of reverent fear of God that draws you towards Him, does not push you away, you shall have no fear. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Point number three, we go back to Psalm 23, and it says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Speaking of the good shepherd again. You see, comfort here speaks of the rest we have in him. If you go back to the literal meaning, the word sigh comes up. Sigh with me. Let's do it again. Doesn't it instill a little bit of peace and relaxation? 
Well, that's what that word is referring to there. You see, the shepherd's rod and staff guides us and protects us from all harm. It is in our surrender to him, in his guidance and protection, that we can find rest. You see, church, God's place for us is a place of peace and a place of rest. Not a place of fear. But notice how you would picture a rod and a staff. It's a hard thing. You can hit somebody with it. But the picture in the Bible is one, if you picture the, the staff with the hook, where he can pull you back. The staff where he can direct your paths. And so even though the the rod might come across as something of a a disciplinarian thing, I, I want to put it to you that it almost is an illustration of the fear of God. Because that rod is taut. It's not flexing. And so God is able to move us around, pull us back when we're in harm's way. And it's in that fear of Him we can find a place of peace because that's where he wants to put us. The scripture puts it that we shall, have no, uh, we shall not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. It also talks about the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And that is the place where he wants us to be. Now, John 14, verse 27, Jesus speaking, And he's speaking to the people and he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let us stand and pray. I'm going to close this uh, prayer off with uh, a a benediction which we hear so often, but it actually speaks into the issue of fear. Let us pray. Father, I want to pray for those who find themselves right now in the grips of fear. Maybe some here, Lord, are scared stiff to the point where it may even be difficult for them to receive this message. And so, Lord, I want to step out in faith And I want to say, fear be uprooted in Jesus' name. Fear be gone in Jesus' name. I pray that it would be replaced with the legitimate, constructive fear of God, which means us no harm and only good. So may the Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and take destructive, illegitimate fear and replace it with his peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.